Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, a leadership development podcast told through the lens of Star Trek. And now here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Greetings, cadets. This episode will demonstrate the value of building relationships with your staff and teams through emotional intelligence. To get there, though, we're, we're going to take a different approach. You'll see what I mean as we start the 12th episode of the second season of Enterprise, The Catwalk. Here's the deal. Um, I can I can recap this entire episode in about three lines. Uh, let's go. Uh, Enterprise takes on some aliens. They have to shelter in the catwalk of their warp nacelles to weather out a storm. A militia from the alien crew come on board and try to steal the ship while they're sheltered in place. Archer and crew foil their plans, and they get through the storm. Okay, so that was like four lines, but but my point is, like, literally nothing happens in this episode. I'll share I'll share some thoughts on that when we get to the red alert section. But but honestly, I I kind of just didn't see a lot of value in recapping an hour of almost almost nothing. But fear not, noble cadet. We still have much to talk about, like how Archer doesn't do much of anything of note in this episode, except a few segments of scenes that, that, that I am going to talk about. And then we're going to try something different. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm actually pretty excited about this. So first, the key segments with Archer, uh, this, this big storm is coming at them. The wavefront spans more than half a dozen light years. Now, the ship can handle it, but the radiation in the storm is going to kill the crew in three minutes, flat. It's no good. No good, right? So they head into the maintenance shafts in the warp nacelles because they're heavily shielded and they're going to protect the crew from the radiation. So this puts all 83 crew plus the three aliens in a pretty confined space for eight days. So what I want to bring up of Archer, they're sporadic, but they're very telling. He has one pretty awkward interaction with a crewman helping them with a crossword puzzle. Then he walks through the rest of the crew, kind of kind of like the kid that was in AV club and got stranded at a middle school dance. And, and they're just... They're just trying to get, you know, find a door. And then he sees the door. That's Trip, right? So he goes over, he goes over to Trip, gets all cool and chummy with his buddy, which is a huge missed opportunity here. I mean, a week with the 83 people on your crew and you 
you choose to actively seek out like the three or four people you interact with all the time, (laughs) poor form, Captain Archer. So to have some fun with this and capitalize on Archer's missed opportunity, today we are going to do a fan rewrite of the catwalk. Yep, that's right. We're going to go through the episode, and and I'm just going to rewrite a bunch of it. I'm going to pretend that Archer's a strong leader that sees this as an opportunity to build up important relationships with his teams and his crew. So here we go. It's September 18th, 2152. They found an uninhabited planet and are going to spend the next week surveying it. Trip and Archer are excited to sneak in some R&R. An alien crew reaches out to them, lets them know that a neutronic storm is on its way. They're going to need to shelter. Archer lets them come aboard, but they have to figure out how to survive the storm. See, they'd need to fly at warp seven to outrun it, but Enterprise can only hit warp five. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. Archer pulls together the brain trust. Phlox warns that any solution that will save the ship simply won't save the crew. With exposure to radiation, we'll be dead within three minutes. Trip suggests the catwalk, and Phlox confirms that it should be shielded enough. But they're going to have to shut down the reactor. That'll keep the temperatures back there livable. With it running, it gets up to, you know, a nice cozy 300 degrees in there. Paul heads up the evacuation while Trip and Mayweather retrofit the catwalk for shelter. And they've got just four hours until the storm hits. There's such a cool moment here that I appreciate so much. Any idea about a latrine? So many stories, books, movies, just just brush off that most equalizing moment of all humanity, using the bathroom. Now, this moment doesn't have any real impact on the rest of the episode, but, but I'm just glad they acknowledged it. I mean, you think about it. 83 people in an enclosed space for eight days? Whew. Gonna start smelling like C.H. Tauber in there in no time. They get everyone loaded in. They have a command center set up and have rerouted helm control to it. Phlox even has a little sick base set up. They're good to go. The aliens come out of decontamination and head to the catwalk. They say they are stellar cartographers from Takrit, but but you can tell something's just not quite right with them. I imagine we'll, we'll, we'll get more on this later. I don't know the first thing about stellar cartography. Goody. What if they begin to ask questions? Trip gets him set up near his bunk area in the shelter. Archer's packing up, and we get a nod to a recurring Star Trek theme. There's beauty in all things. I didn't expect it to be beautiful. He and T'Pol discuss an incident from about 100 years ago where a Vulcan ship was destroyed by a similar storm. And T'Pol, being the consummate Vulcan she is, simply acknowledges it as a fact. Nothing more. Everyone's loaded up in the catwalk, and here's where we go off script with what should have happened. Quick side note, though. Man, this the soundtrack for this episode is, is epic. <laughs> This sounds like super big deal stuff. Okay, rewrite time. We cut to Archer walking up and down the walkway. He's smiling at the crew as he walks by. A crewman pulls him aside and asks for help on a crossword puzzle. You wouldn't know who is the first Vulcan ambassador to Earth. Six letters ends with an R. Solkar. 
I think. He talks with the group playing the crossword for a while. He learns a little bit about their past, listens to some of their stories. After that, he works his way further down the walkway and sees a small group of officers huddled around a table. He doesn't know them that well, so he asks if he can join them. They're playing some tabletop game that one of the officers learned when they were living on a transport ship. He doesn't join in, but he listens as they talk about their game. As he's interacting with them, he, he tells a joke about a water polo match that he watched recently. And the officers the officers politely chuckle, but, but one of them, one of them actually gets it. He's full on belly laughing. Archer gets a real kick out of it, thanks them for letting him hang out, and then he moves along. What's important here is that Archer doesn't insert himself in a way that's disruptive. In the workplace, managers tend to stop people from doing work all the time. The approach Archer is taking here respects their time, where he takes a moment to connect with them, but then moves along so they can get back to the important stuff they're working on. Over in Flox's sickbay, Reed drops in with gastrointestinal distress. Vlox gives him something and helps him, helps him feel a little better. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Huh? I've uh, treated a number of crewmen this afternoon for motion sickness. Archer walks in and checks in with Phlox on the state of the crew. Says they're, you know, generally doing as well as could be expected. Can we, can we just for a second acknowledge how great Phlox is? I mean, great bedside manner. He's discreet, super respectful. <laughs> awesome. Archer continues along and checks in with Mayweather before turning in for the night. Trip set up a sort of, well, I guess a, I don't know, sort of a stateroom for him and Paul. He pops in and checks in with her. He says this reminds him of camping. So she shares a story about the Kazwan ritual she participated in when she was left in the desert to survive for 10 days. Sounds awful, but it's actually a really cool callback to one of the best episodes of the animated series, Yesteryear. He tells her he's going to wander around, get to know the crew, instead of just bunking in their section. And he encourages her to do the same. It'd be good for you to fraternize a little. He grabs his bedroll and heads off down the walkway, presumably to get some rack time with the crew. What a great way to endear yourself to your team. Meet them where they're at. I mean, not that the stateroom was like lavish or even comfortable or, or even a stateroom, but it did communicate to the crew that he and T'Pol were different, that they got special accommodations. Choosing to go out and share a space with the crew was a masterful move by Archer that's going to go a long way in earning the trust and the respect of his crew. Now, note that I totally made all of that up. In the actual episode, he just rolled over and went to sleep after chatting with DePaul. But but sure would have been cool if he did what I described, yeah? The rest of the senior staff, Hoshi, Reed, and Trip, are playing cards. Okay, the game is five cards stud, nothing wild, any up. Trip tells him Archer set up a movie night. It'll be on a small monitor and in tight quarters, but it's still going to give everybody an activity they can do together, and it'll be a fun distraction. In the command center, they're getting some weird readings out of engineering. Systems are activating. Just, it just doesn't make any sense. So Trip gears up in an EV suit and goes to investigate. He's got a limited safe time because of the radiation, but he heads out anyway. When he gets up there, he sees a crew of people, more Tekrat, the, 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 the same species as the aliens they welcomed on board. They're, they're, they're walking through the ship, clearly trying to reactivate it. 
The apparent leader is listening to Archer's logs, reading through his files, learning about the Enterprise and its crew. Trip reports back, so Archer meets with the aliens in the shelter. Don't forget they're the ones who warned us about the storm. We owe them. Be patient. They come clean. They're, they're former members of the militia, the, the, the group that's on board right now. They deserted the militia because, because they were just, they were nothing more than pirates, criminals, really. They explain that the militia are after them, and they're likely going to steal the ship. Reed, Reed confirms this. Seems to me they've already decided to help themselves to Enterprise. Archer chooses to trust them, and they begin planning a response. In the meantime... The militia are starting up the reactor. Now this, this starts a timer. It's going to heat the catwalk up to over 300 degrees. That'll, that'll kill the entire crew. Trip guesses that they've got 20 minutes tops. Again, total, total rewrite here. <laughs> In reality, Archer grilled the deserters. He threatened them. He accused them. You're assuming these three are telling the truth. They've already lied to us. He was aggressive overbearing, almost violent in this scene. They have three more EV suits. So Reed and T'Pol go to stop the reactor startup while Archer goes to deal with the militia. He hails them, says the, the crew is already dead and there's nothing here for them to take. So he orders them, demands that they leave the ship. But not surprisingly, they, they just refuse. So he threatens, he threatens to destroy the Enterprise. Huh, that is a, uh, how very Kirk of him. I will destroy it. The same movie pulled and Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, which was a super fun episode and you can find wherever you find your podcasts. The militia leader ignores him, traces his signal, and sends soldiers to find him. In the meantime, Mayweather executes his part of the plan, steering the ship for a plasma eddy that will rip the ship apart. Archer's in the galley and ends up in a firefight with the militia soldiers. Tensions continue to build. The reactor shutdown is taking longer than expected, and Archer's pinned down. One of the militia urges evacuation, but the leader thinks he's bluffing. Clocks are ticking. The temperature just went up another six degrees. And they're getting closer and closer to the eddy. I strongly suggest we abort the mission. To Paul and Reed are successful, and at the very last minute, the militia retreats and leaves Enterprise. Mayweather veers away from the eddy, and they're all good. They're nearing the edge of the storm. The aliens return to their ship and head off. The crew are watching an old western for movie night. Archer and T'Pol are hanging out with them and, and cracking jokes with the crew about the movie. They successfully emerge from the storm. As he's unpacking, Archer tells T'Pol how thankful he is for the time he got with the crew. T'Pol even mentions that she feels that she's built stronger bonds with members of the crew. The episode ends with Archer making some jokes about Vulcans and, and the very personal bonds they form. But actually, the episode ends with them watching the Western. Yoo-hoo! I'll make you famous. T'Pol is there, but, but no Archer. He interrupts the movie to let everyone know they've passed the storm and they can leave the catwalk. Quick scene of the corridor and T'Pol confirming everyone is out. And that's it. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. 
Book your stay today at LQ.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is a, is a fine episode. You know, decent enough way to while away an hour. But literally, I mean, nothing, nothing happens. In my opinion, episodes like this justify the, the modern era of 13 episode seasons. I mean, back then, they had to fill 26 episodes every season, and you're just not going to knock it out of the park that many times. One thing in this that that, that pulled me out of it was uh, during the firefight, or just after the firefight in the galley, the ships shaking, the militia running all around, and dishes, food are falling all over the place. It's a total mess in there. And here's the thing, like, there is no way the galley would be set up like that. All those dishes stacked loosely? No way. I will never forget my days cranking on a fast attack back in the 90s. But we would have had to have been flipped upside down for dishes to go crazy like that. And you're you're telling me that in the mid-22nd century, they've, they've just given up on that setup? Yeah, I don't buy it. But aside from that, eh, decent enough episode. Command codes verified. Despite an uneventful episode that we we summed up in just four lines, there is a lot to take away in this episode. Let's dive into the importance of connecting with your teams and the people you work with. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. Many years ago, I was an assistant manager. We were a good-sized store, had about 60 employees, and I had the exciting and educational task of writing the schedule every week. And I'll tell you what, if you've never staffed a retail shop or a restaurant before and had to write the schedule, including including the daily break schedules, whew, you haven't lived. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Honestly, though, I'm, I'm so thankful for that experience. I learned so much about managing resources and and working with people. If you want to talk about one thing that is near and dear to every person, it's their work schedules. I mean, lots of stories about that, as I'm sure you can imagine. But I think we can dive into those when we start looking at duty rosters and, and things like that in future episodes. But back to the assistant manager job. Our general manager was 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 not not a great manager. He 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 wasn't even wasn't even a, a good manager. I mean, in a lot of ways. And if that's the case, then I'm gonna have to fire Thomas, our longtime security coordinator. May have been two minutes late. Oh. Well, then you were lying. But I want to share one interaction I had with them that this episode really, really brought to light for me. So we had some issue going on between staff. I mean, I honestly don't remember any of the details. But he and I were talking with a staff member about the issue. And the staff person said something about the GM being out of touch and not even knowing the staff. The GM responds, and I will, I will never forget this. He says, I don't have to know the staff. Jeff does. (laughs) What? Jeff does? Like that's good enough? 
Oh, it still fires me up to this day. And, and that was over 20 years ago. Like, how, how is that even almost okay? It's not like we had 2,000 people on staff. Like, we had like 60. Well, I went on to become a general manager in that same company. And that moment steered so much of how I led in that company. I made it a point. I made it a priority to develop a professional relationship with each member of my team. And I was able to leverage those relationships a number of times to to everyone's benefit. In this job, we had one day a year that was just wild, super, super busy. Open, open, open. I had an employee. Let's, uh, Let's call him Nathan. This was his first job, and he was about to crack. I mean, it was wildly busy. But I'd gone out of my way to get to know him, to to develop a professional relationship based on trust. I remember pulling him off the register for just a second. I mean, like he he was going to blow. So I dug deep into my ever growing box of motivational quotes, and I said, <laughs> I said to him, "Pressure does one of two things: it either crushes you or it makes a diamond." And Nathan, Nathan, I work with diamonds. Now let's go shine. Corny. I know corny, but you know what? It worked. He totally stepped up and we got through the day. It was awesome. I actually ran into Nathan about, uh, oh gosh, about 10 years ago. He'd gotten a really good job with the state and, uh, and he was, he was doing really well. And, uh, the cool thing is he, he remembered that moment just as well as I did. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. As we talk about developing these professional relationships, it might be a good idea to go revisit our podcast episode where we looked at Voyager, the cloud. In that, we talked about Janeway's struggle between developing personal relationships and maintaining her professional demeanor. You see, this is, this is not an easy skill to master, but it is so powerful once you do. But the first thing to keep in mind about these relationships is that they are professional That doesn't mean personal stuff is off limits, but it does mean that you need to have some boundaries. Like you don't hang out all the time and and share a bunch of family pics with each other on Facebook. You need to connect on a meaningful level, but that connection should be rooted in trust and integrity. In fact, a fantastic framework to follow in cultivating these relationships are the five dimensions of emotional intelligence. Those are self-awareness. Self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills. This really is the perfect framework for any interaction, really. But specifically to help maintain appropriate professional distance while connecting on a meaningful level. You have to have the self-awareness to to know where you're at. Like, what's your emotional state at the moment? How present are you? Where are you in regards to the relationship that you're developing? Knowing these things informs the the next dimension, which is self-regulation. If, for example, you're aware that you're wanting a more personal relationship with a member of your team, you can regulate yourself, reinforce those professional boundaries. And this helps you be more present with the person because, because you're going to be able to regulate where you are uh, emotionally at that very moment. Now, a person with higher emotional intelligence tends to be motivated by things beyond them, greater than them, the, the greater good, as it were. 
But being self-motivated to act with integrity and build trust is going to go a long ways in developing these relationships. Listening with empathy and compassion is invaluable. If you were to interact with someone that heard what you said, validated your feelings, and engaged with you on that, that emotional level, oh, you would feel amazing. And you would want to grow your relationship with that person. So that is how you need to arrive. That's how you need to be present when you're cultivating these relationships. And finally, using appropriate social skills is vital to this. Uh, appropriate humor at the right time, topics, and voice volume that are appropriate to the situation. Being just being comfortable interacting with the person. Strong social skills are the skeleton that all the other dimensions of emotional intelligence connect to when you're when you're working to develop meaningful relationships. Just a few years ago, well, wow, yeah, that's not true at all. Um, like. 10 years ago, I, I managed this absolutely amazing team. I'd invested quite a bit of time connecting with every member of the team, intentionally connecting with every member of the team. I think, I think there were about 40 of us back then. I wanted to get to know them and build trust with them. Again, this, this was an intentional activity that I worked on every day. Well, like, like a lot of managers do, I overcommitted the team and I did that in a very public way. <laughs> so I leveraged those relationships. I pulled the team together and I explained what I did. Basically, I had told a group of people that we could increase our output by you know, 10% and we could do it faster in less time than we were currently doing. <laughs> Oops. Uh -oh. I was honest with them. I told them what I'd committed to. And I apologized. And then I asked him for a favor. I asked them to give 110% for like six months. I figured we could over deliver for a while and then settle back down. And our customer would, you know, just be okay with our processing times. I also knew that once we raised the ceiling on our production, even when we settled back down, we'd be producing at a higher rate than we were before. I did tell him, I said it was cool to say no. Like I couldn't, I couldn't force anybody to do this, but if they could as a personal favor, it would mean the world to me. And this is where that investment paid off. I mean, it actually became a joke. Hey, how's it going? Oh, me <laughs> just giving 110%. And they totally delivered. It was, well, honestly, it was awe-inspiring, and it was completely the result of me taking the time to develop meaningful relationships with the team. In my made-up version of the episode, Archer nailed this. He was great. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. He showed humility and connected with people in a meaningful way. He was, he was perfect, but that's not how it really went down. Now, he sure talked a good game. Wander around, get to know the crew. But his execution was very lacking. So take a lesson from fake made-up Archer and not, and not sci-fi TV made-up Archer. I would love to hear your thoughts and examples on connecting with the people on your teams. Have you had some great successes as a result? Join us on the Starfleet Leadership Academy Facebook group. We would be honored if you would join us. And share what you've got.
Plus, you can reach out on Twitter at SFLA Podcast. And you can also follow me across all the social media. I'm at Jeff T. Aiken. Jeff T. as in Tacrit, A-K-I-N. And I'd also like to invite you to leave a voicemail that I might include on a future episode. Visit jeffaiken.com and click the microphone in the lower corner. You can share your story and thoughts as a voicemail there. It's pretty cool. Computer. What are we going to watch next time? Working. Season 1, Episode 5 of Discovery. Choose Your Pain. Now, this is a pretty violent episode, but it introduces us to Harry Mudd as a character we'll run into in both Discovery and the original series. Before wrapping up, I want to take a moment to thank everyone that supports this show. Thank you so much. 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 We have amazing people that support the Starfleet Leadership Academy by telling their friends and colleagues about it, sharing our episodes on social media, and by visiting jeffaiken.com and joining our email list. And you can also support the podcast financially. There's a link in the show notes to our Patreon page. Every patron makes a real difference. And there are some pretty cool perks there too. Visit patreon.com slash SFLA or just click the link in the show notes. I appreciate all of you so very much. Thank you. And I can't wait to get back into discovery with you. So until then, ex astra scientia. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric acid.